0: Welcome to Tom Bradford's Torah Class, an in-depth Old Testament Bible study that's brought to you from a Hebrew Roots perspective. This week's lesson is week number 39, 2nd Kings chapters 24 and 25. Well, we're entering the home stretch of our uh, study of 2nd Kings and this week and next is going to finish up the book. Now. What finishing up the book means is that Judah will then be officially exiled from the promised land. At that point, none of the tribes of Israel will be living in the land that God first set apart for them in His promise to Abraham. That doesn't mean that no Israelites remained in the land following the exile. For various reasons, a mixed group of the remnants of the 12 tribes were able to stay in both the south, Judah, and in the north, Israel, also known as Ephraim, or the northern kingdom. Now, this Babylonian exile is earth-shaking in the history of Israel. In fact, it was in Babylon where the religion of Judaism and the concept of synagogues is houses of worship, was born. The Babylonian exile plays such a role in the plan of redemption that the God of Israel is laying all this out for us and we find that various aspects of this exile are spoken of in a number of Old Testament books. So we're going to be using quotes from several of those today. Now the last time we met, we spent a good deal of our effort in Jeremiah 27. But today I'm going to try to chart the historical path to connect some dots all of the final 20 years of Judah's existence. Now the crux of the Jeremiah 27 passages is a difficult one for both Jews and Christians to accept. Rabbis have worked in some pretty fanciful ways to try to explain it all away. And Christian leadership simply says that God essentially changed how he operates once New Testament times arrived. So, whatever God did then is irrelevant to modern believers now. And the crux issue is that God decided to be on Babylon's side for a while and against Israel. He decided to turn Judah over to Babylon as a punishment for their decade after decade of ever-worsening apostasy of unfaithfulness. And he told Judah that they were to willingly bow down to Babylon. They should not resist The king and the government of Judah should be cooperative. They should be subdued. They should never consider rebelling because to rebel against Babylon was to rebel directly against God. Now neither Babylon nor King Nebuchadnezzar is portrayed as evil in God's eyes. Rather, they have been raised up by God's hand of justice to be his judgment upon his people. It's Judah that's currently evil. It's Judah that is then going to receive God's severe judgment and sentence against them. Now as Bible students and modern day believers, we have grown used to the idea that to fight against Israel or to do harm to Israel was automatically the same thing as coming against Jehovah this is because Israel the land was God's set apart kingdom Israel the people are God's set apart people but God makes it clear that we ought not to assume that just because a person or a nation of people is redeemed and set apart for Him that they're now immune from His punishment or that He won't allow us to be put into subjugation or to be oppressed by another person or nation if we trespass seriously enough and for long enough. And this is outright stated in Jeremiah 27. There's no guesswork needed on our part. Jeremiah twenty-seven five says this, this is God speaking, I made the earth, humankind, all the animals on the earth by my great power and my outstretched arm. I give it to whom seems right to me. When God's redeemed rebel against the Lord, whether it's ancient Israel, modern Israel, or modern believers in Yeshua, He has and He will take action. And Paul tells us to expect exactly that as disciples of Yeshua. In Romans 11, 17-22 it says this, But if some of the branches were broken off and you, Gentiles, a wild olive were grafted in among them and have become now equal shares in the rich root of the olive tree, then don't boast as if you're better than the branches. However, if you do boast, remember you're not supporting the root. The root's supporting you. So you'll say, so branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. True, but so what? They were broken off because of their lack of trust. However, you keep your place only because of your trust. So don't be arrogant. On the contrary, be terrified. For if God didn't spare His natural branches, He won't spare you. So take a good look at God's kindness and His severity. On the one hand, severity towards those who fell off, but on the other hand, God's kindness towards you, provided you maintain yourself in that kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. In 2 Kings 24, we found that Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, had taken over after another son of Josiah, Yehoiachaz had been on the throne for only three months. Yehoiachaz was removed; <clears throat> he was imprisoned by the Egyptian Pharaoh Nico, who then placed him, or replaced him rather, with his brother Yehoiakim. However, Yehoiakim would become a vassal to Egypt and then later on Babylon. Yehoiakim was a foolish man, we're told. He was an evil king who behaved in the way of all the other apostate kings of Judah that preceded him. So God himself came against Jehoiakim by inciting King Nebuchadnezzar to send a military force of mercenaries from Ammon and Moab and Aram, that's Syria, led by his own Babylonian commanders, and that was to attack Judah. Now this invasion took place in the month of Kislev, December, 598 BC. And the result was exactly what Jeremiah had warned would happen if Judah didn't bow down in contrite submission To Babylon. We read in Jeremiah 27, 11 through 13. But the nation that puts its neck under the yoke of the king of Babel and serves him, that nation I will allow to remain on their own soil. They'll farm it and they'll live there. Then I spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the same way. Put your necks under the yoke of the king of Babel, serve him and his people, and you'll live. Why would you want to die? you and your people, by sword and famine and plague, which is what Adonai has decreed for the nation that will not serve the king of Babel. Now surprisingly, Second Kings 24 gives us almost no information about what happened to Judah and to King Jehoiakim as a result of this invasion. All it says is, in 24-6, is then Jehoiakim slept with his ancestors, and Jehoiakim, his son, took his place as king. But there's considerably more details available in other books. For instance, in Second Chronicles 36 we hear this, in 2 Chronicles 36, 5 and 6 it says Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began his reign and he ruled for 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil from the perspective of Adonai his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, attacked him and bound him in chains to carry him off to Babel. Well, we have a conundrum here because Second Kings 24 says Jehoiakim died in Jerusalem. 2 Chronicles 36 says he was taken away prisoner to Babylon. Scholars have debated over which of these two statements is accurate because they can't both be right. Now, In general, the evidence is that he died in Jerusalem. For one thing... The rather detailed and complete Babylonian chronicles that charts the names of all the various kings taken prisoner during the many invasions of kingdoms and nations by Babylon makes no mention of Jehoiakim being arrested and brought to Babylon. Further, we have a prediction of Jehoiakim's violent death from the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah again. But this time in chapter 22, Jeremiah 22, 18 and 19 says this. Therefore, here's what Adonai says concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Yoshiel, Josiah, king of Judah. There will be no one to mourn for him. O oh, my brother, O oh, my sister, there will be no one to mourn for him. O oh, my master, O oh, his glory, he will be given a donkey's burial dragged out of the gates of Jerusalem and thrown away to rot. How'd you like that on your tombstone? <laughs> then in Jeremiah 36, 27-30, Then this word of Adonai came to Jeremiah, Ir-me-ow, after the king had burned the scroll with the words Baruch, had written in Jeremiah's dictation. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned up. And as far as Jehoiakim, king of Judah, is concerned, you are to say that Adonai says, You burned this scroll, asking, Why did you write in it that the king of Babel will certainly come and destroy this land and leave it without either humans or animals? Therefore Adonai says this about Jehoiakim, King of Judah he will have no one to occupy David's throne and his dead body will be thrown out to lie in the heat by day and in the frost by night. Now taken together with that, Second that Kings 24 statement that he died in Jerusalem at the time of the invasion, it's anyone's guess where that tradition came from about Jehoiakim being taken off prisoner to Babylon, but it certainly appears to be an error. Anyway, then in 2 Chronicles we find that articles that were looted from the temple were taken to Babylon. 2 Chronicles thirty six seven. Nebuchadnezzar also carried the articles in the house of Adonai away to Babylon and put them in his temple in Babylon. Now, not just loot, but also citizens of Judah were deported to Babylon in retribution for Yehoshaphat Hoyakim's rebellion, including the namesake of the Bible book that we're soon going to be studying. Daniel 1, through 1-6 In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he laid siege to it. And Adonai handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him along with some of the articles of the house of God. And he took them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the articles in the storehouse of his God. The king ordered Ashpnaz, the eunuch serving as his chief officer, to bring into the palace from the people of Israel some of royal or noble descent. There were to be boys without physical defect, handsome in appearance, versed in all kinds of wisdom and quick to learn, discerning and having the capacity to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Castine, the Chaldeans. And the king assigned... Of them, a daily portion of his own food and the wine he drank and they were to be cared for in this way for three years and at the end of this time they were to become the king's attendants and among these from the people of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So here we find that it was under the reign of King Jehoiakim that Babylon first invaded Judah. But before Judah was invaded, King Nebuchadnezzar entered a peace treaty with King Jehoiakim that Judah would then be a vassal to Babylon. After three years, Jehoiakim rebelled. He quit paying the tribute. And then in 598 BC, Judah was invaded and Jehoiakim was killed by Babylon in order to restore their dominance over Judah. It was at this time that their vassal relationship turned into exile. But it didn't have to happen. It did not have to happen. The Lord was satisfied to merely have Judah placed under Babylon's control and under Babylon's for some indefinite period of time. In reality, you see, that was the punishment that God had decided to inflict upon Judah for their apostasy. If only they would have listened to Jeremiah's word from the Lord, Judah didn't have to be destroyed. A descendant of David could have remained sitting on Judah's throne, even if he was a vassal king to Babylon and the people could have stayed. They could have stayed in Judah farming their own land, tending their own herds and flocks, generally doing what they'd always done. There is no evidence that Babylon acted as barbarians and harmed or mistreated the people of Judah. They didn't force their gods or their religion upon them. See. Judah's exile occurred only because Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and his government administration disobeyed God by rebelling against Babylon because they didn't like being a vassal and having their independence taken away and they didn't want to accept God's punishment upon them. Let's reread a portion of 2nd Kings 24 and let's deal with the next king of Judah, Jehoiakim. Let's read 2nd Kings 24 starting at verse 7. If you have a complete Jewish Bible, it's page 432. 432. Read along with me. The king of Egypt did not leave his own land anymore because the king of Babel had captured all the territory of the king of Egypt between the wadi of Egypt and the Euphrates River. Now, Yehoyakim was 18 months old when he began his reign and he ruled in Jerusalem for three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of El-Natan from Jerusalem. He did what was evil from Adonai's perspective following their example of everything his father had done. It was then that the offers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, marched on Jerusalem and they laid siege to the city. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel, himself went to the city while it was under siege. And Jehoiakim, king of Judah, went out to meet the king of Babel. He, his mother, his servants, princes, and officers, and the king of Babel took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He also carried away from there all the treasures in the house of Adonai and the treasures in the royal palace. He cut into pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, Solomon king of Israel, had made in the temple of Adonai, as Adonai had said would happen. He carried away all Jerusalem captive. All the princes, all the bravest soldiers, 10,000 captives, also all the craftsmen and all the metal workers. No one was left but the poorest people of the land. Jehoiakim, he carried off to Babel. Likewise, he carried off the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, the main leaders of the land from Jerusalem into captivity and to Babylon. All the strong men, seven thousand of them, as well as a thousand craftsmen and metalsmiths, all of them strong and trained for war, the king of Babel brought captive to Babel. The king of Babel made Matanyah, Jehoiakim's father's brother, king in place of Jehoiakim, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to rule, and he ruled for 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatal, the daughter of Yermiah, Jeremiah, from Libna. He did what was evil from the perspective of Adonai, following the example of everything Yehoiakim had done. And it was because of Adonai's anger that all these things happened to Jerusalem and Judah until he'd thrown them out of his presence. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babel. Jehoiachin was the son of Jehoiachim. He was 18 years old when he took over the throne. It had been given to him by King Nebuchadnezzar. And just like his half-brother, Kaz, he only managed to rule for three months before trouble overtook him. And the words of 2 Chronicles 36 tells us that he ruled for exactly 3 months and 10 days. But also recognize that 2 Chronicles says that he was 8 years old, not 18, when he became king. Now, while some rabbis have gone through all sorts of gyrations to try and explain away this discrepancy nuns needed, the number 8 is a copyist error. This was not a child king, and the context makes all that abundantly clear. Being an impetuous and immature 18-year-old, he immediately defied Babylon and Jehovah and he rebelled. So once again, Babylon sent its army to reestablish control. First, Nebuchadnezzar sent his generals and his military to put the city under siege, and then he only came to take personal command at a later date. It happened in the month of Adar in March in the year 597 B.C. The young Jewish king no doubt never counted on Nebuchadnezzar reacting this way. And so when the army showed up and the siege began, he rather quickly panicked. And he opened the city gates and along with his family and members of his royal court he went out to surrender to the king of Babylon in hopes of mercy the king didn't trust him, and rightly so, because Jehoiakim's father had also pledged loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar only to betray him at the first opportunity. So he and his family and government officials were arrested. They were hauled off to Babylon. Now this event had been predicted by Jeremiah. Now notice as I read these passages to you that Jehoiakim was earlier known by another name Conial Conial Jeremiah 22 24 through 30 As I live says Adonai even if Conial Jehoiakim the son of Jehoiakim king of Judah wore the signet ring on my right hand I would pull you off and hand you over to those who seek your life, to those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Chaldeans. I'll hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into a country different from the one you were born in, and you will die there. They will not return to the country to which they long to return. Is this man Koniao a despised broken pot and an instrument nobody wants? Why are they being thrown out? Why are he and his offspring thrown out into a country that they do not know? Oh land, 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 hear the word of Adonai. This is what Adonai says. List this man is childless. He is a lifetime failure. None of his offspring will succeed. None will sit on David's throne or rule again in Judah. So now, a second wave of people from Judah were deported to Babylon. About 10,000 people that represented the cream of the crop of Judah's population were taken. Notice that verse, 17, verse 14 rather says that all Jerusalem. Was taken. Then it goes on to say that all the princes, all the bravest soldiers were included. So it needs to be stated that the use of the term all, coal, in the Bible is not a precise term. It doesn't mean 100%. It's what we might call in English grammar hyperbole. It is meant to express a significant amount the vast majority, that's large enough to represent the whole. It's no different than how we use the term all today. Our kids might say they get in trouble all the time. Or that all of our luck is bad luck. Or that all the doctors are rich and all the politicians are greedy. Well, forget that, might be true. (laughs) All means predominantly in the Bible, not every last one. So, when we hear that all nations will come against Israel in the end times, it's not an absolute statement. It does not mean that there won't be a few nations, maybe some very obscure ones, that stay out of the fray but it does mean that the bulk of the earth's powerful nations will. So don't let that biblical term all, as it is used in the Bible, mislead you. It was never intended to mean all inclusive with no exceptions. Now as we also read in verse 13, even more, of the temple furnishings and treasures were now taken. In the first invasion and first wave of deportation in 598 BC see it was things like vessels and pans and gold and silver articles that were taken but this time the result was more dramatic, it was much more destructive. Larger articles of precious metal, too large uh, some of them to transport, were cut into pieces and they were taken to Babylon so they could be melted down and reformed into something else. This was but the second stage in the process of emptying Judah of its people, and there was one more to go. It was an escalation in response to Judah rebelling for the second time in only a couple of years. And then once again, the deportations and the looting of the temple didn't have to be If only Jehoiakim and then his son Jehoiakim had been obedient to God's word from Jeremiah, had they just submitted to Babylon as Jehovah had instructed, then the Babylonian army would not have invaded in retribution. Now, as to the numbers of people that 2 Kings 24.14 says were taken away to Babylon, here it says it was 10,000 then verse 14, rather 16 speaks of 7,000 plus 1,000. Now if we look at Jeremiah 52, we hear this in, in verses 28 through 30. The number of people deported by Nebuchadnezzar were as follows. In the 7th year, 3,023 persons from Judah. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, 832 persons from Jerusalem. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of the guard, deported 745 persons from Judah, the total comes to 4600 persons. In the end we can only speculate, but some things are self-evident. Numbers like 10,000 and 7,000 and 1,000 are round numbers. They are meant as approximations, not as precise figures. Yet Jeremiah 52 is obviously quite precise. Even so, it's unclear as to which groups of persons are being spoken of here. The numbers are much too small to indicate the total number who were deported. No matter, we can get the picture that several thousand were taken and they were from the more elite classes, the educators, the leadership at all levels. The common people were left There's no doubt they weren't seen as being at fault, nor were any of them of any particular value in Babylon. Besides, they were needed to keep the mines operating, the fields and orchards producing, construction continuing, and so on. See, if Babylon emptied the land of the working class, there'd be no source of tribute to draw from Judah. It's a very simple matter. But with Jehoiakim imprisoned, Judah now needed a replacement king. And so Nebuchadnezzar chose Mataniah, who was Jehoiakim's uncle. And Nebuchadnezzar, as customary, gave Mataniah a new royal name Zidkiah, meaning Jehovah is righteous. Now notice, Nebuchadnezzar is a smart king. He's a good politician. He had a lot of experience in holding together this large empire of diverse nations and peoples. So he wisely insisted on not only keeping a Jewish king on Judah's throne, but even someone from Josiah's family because this was of the dynasty of David. In other words, he understood that by keeping a descendant of David's royal line in power, the people would be more inclined to obey that king because he was legitimate. So there were they were probably less inclined to make trouble. Well, Zedekiah, as he's called in English, would be Judah's last king who was both Jewish and of the line of David. Why did Nebuchadnezzar choose Zedekiah? Well, for starters, Jehoiakim was too young, at 18 or 19 years old, to have had any sons beyond the age of perhaps two or three. Zedekiah was Josiah's son and was probably the last remaining option for Nebuchadnezzar if he wanted to enthrone a member of Josiah's family. Unfortunately, Zedekiah was totally unlike his father. Rather, Zedekiah was much like all the other wicked kings of Judah. Although perhaps he didn't work quite so zealously at being wicked, nonetheless the Lord did see him as evil. Second Chronicles thirty-six eleven through thirteen says this: Zedekiah was twenty-one. Or rather, back up. Zedekiah. Sedeq Yah was 21 years old when he began his reign and he ruled for 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil from the perspective of Adonai, his god. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet speaking on behalf of Adonai. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear loyalty to him by God. Instead, he became stiff-necked and hard-hearted refru- refusing to turn to Adonai, the god of God. Of Israel, so notice a couple of things about this passage. First, we have a slight variation in Zedekiah's name, Zedekiah's name. Here, he is called Zedekiah, Zedekiah, whereas Zedekiah is Yehovah is righteous. Zedekiah translates as God is righteous. Now this sort of switching back and forth from God, Yah, to Yehoveh, Yahu, all this in a name, this was all typical of Hebrew custom and literature. But second of all, we see that Zedekiah's main trespass was that he didn't obey God's prophet, Jeremiah. And this was viewed by the Lord as being stiff-necked, stubborn, hard-hearted, his mind was closed to God, just as was the Pharaoh of the Exodus. And he would not turn to Jehovah God of Israel, but rather he relied on his own ways and on his own intellect. Now verse 20 ends this chapter with the notice that it was because the Lord had already decided the fate of Judah and Jerusalem that Zedekiah rebelled against Babylon. In other words the final act that would bring an official end to the kingdom of Judah just needed someone to carry it out. So God put it in Zedekiah's mind to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Truly, such a thought to rebel was irrational. Judah had no means to defeat Babylon. Every time it had tried within the last... The past few years, Judah lost more wealth, more people, more of the temple and palace treasures. See, it's an amazing thing that we witness in Bible history that not only with God's kingdom, but among the Gentile nations, government leaders often made self-destructive decisions that defied common sense we read of them, we, we read more of them, we analyze them, we scratch our heads and we wonder how a person could rise to such a lofty position and yet behave so foolishly. And yet, to themselves and to those who form their brain trust, these decisions are brilliant, well conceived. And any who question them or object Well, they're seen as ignorant. They're just incapable of understanding life and economics or governing on their elite level. Of course, invariably, those leaders, Hebrew or Gentile, who made these kinds of decisions, they had no connection to God. They relied on human wisdom alone. And they either deceived themselves into thinking that they were in good stead with the God of Israel or they believed that their own prowess, their own cunning, their own intelligence, that's all that was needed to rule. See, it's no different than today. And I can safely say that the end result for the leaders and their nations of today will be the same as it was for those ancient ones, eventual national ruin and estrangement from God. Let's move on now and read together the last chapter of 2nd Kings. 2nd Kings 25, page 433 if you have a complete Jewish Bible. In the ninth year of his reign, meaning Zedekiah, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babel marched against Jerusalem with his entire army. He set up camp against it, he built siege towers against it on every side, and the city remained under siege until the eleventh year of King Sidkiel. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, when the famine in the city was so severe that there was no food for the people in the land, they broke through into the city. All the soldiers fled by night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Because the Kasteem, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were surrounding the city, The king took the route through the Arabah. But the army of the Kastim went in pursuit of the king and overtook him in the plains near Jericho. All of his troops deserted him. Then they took the king and brought him to the king of Babel and Riblah, where they passed judgment on him. They slaughtered his sons before his eyes. Then they put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him in chains and carried him off to Babylon. In the fifth month on the seventh day of the month, which was also the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard and an officer of the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. He burned down the house of Adonai, the royal palace all the houses in Jerusalem, every notable person's house, he burned to the ground. The whole army of the Chaldeans, who were with the commander of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. zardan the commander of the guard, then deported the remaining population of the city, the deserters who had defected to the king of Babel, and the rest of the common people, but... The commander of the guard left behind some of the poor people of the land to be vineyard workers and farmers. The Chaldeans smashed the bronze columns in the house of Adonai, also the trolleys in the bronze sea that were in the house of Adonai and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots and shovels and snuffers, pans, all the bronze articles that had been used for worship. The commander of the guard took the censers, the sprinkling bowls, everything made of gold, everything made of silver. The bronze in the two columns, the one sea and on the bases, all of which Solomon had made for the house of Adonai, was more than could be weighed. The height of one column was thirty-one and a half feet. On its capital, on it was a capital of bronze, five and a quarter feet high with netting and pomegranates all around the capital all of bronze the second column was similar also with netting the commander of the guard took prisoner sarraya the chief cohen the high priest Zakaria, the second-ranking priest, and three doorkeepers. From the city he took an official in charge of the soldiers, five close associates of the king who had been found in the city, the army commander's secretary in charge of military conscription, and 60 of the common people found in the city. Sardan, the commander of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babel in Riblah. There in Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king of Babylon had them put to death. Thus Judah was carried away captive out of the land. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, appointed Gedaliah, the son of Achitkam, the son of shphan governor over the people remaining behind in the land of Judah after he left. And when all the army officers and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah the governor, they came to Gedaliah in Mitzpah. Ishmael, the son of Netanyah, Yochanan, the son of Kariach, Esrayah, the son of Tanhumet, the uh, 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 the Natofati, and uh, Ya'azanyau, the son of Ma'akati, they and their men. Taking an oath, Gedalyahu said to them, Don't be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Just live in the land and serve the king of Babel and things will go well for you. But in the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Netanyahu, the son of Elishma, of royal blood came with ten men and assassinated Gedaliah and the Judeans and the Chaldeans who were with him in Mitzpah. In wake of all this, all kinds of people, great and small, as well as the army officers, set out and went to Egypt because they were afraid of the Chaldeans. In the 37th year of the captivity of uh, Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, Evel-Mrodak began his reign as king of Babylon and in his first year he commuted the sentence of Jehoiachin king of Judah and released him from prison. He treated him with kindness he gave him a throne higher than those of the other kings there with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin no longer had to wear prison clothes moreover he was provided with food as long as he lived and he was granted a daily allowance by the king to spend on his other needs for as long as he lived. This chapter cuts right to the chase. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple of God followed by the final wave of deportations to Babylon. Verse 1 explains that it happened in the ninth year of the 11 year reign of Zedekiah. However, when it speaks of the tenth day of the tenth month, it's not in relation or reference to how much time Melech Zedekiah, King Zedekiah, had been on the throne. Rather, the tenth day of the tenth month is giving us a calendar date. The tenth month is Tevet, January. It was the dead of winter in Judah. Short days cold. Frost would cover the ground most mornings, and without a decent cloak or a blanket one could die of hypothermia overnight. A warm fire was a must. The year was 588 BC. Only nine years had passed since the previous failed rebellion attempt. Why would Zedekiah think that now might be a good time when all the other earlier times ended in disaster? Well, we have to look to Ezekiel to explain this decision. So, obviously doomed to failure and impossible to comprehend as it must have been to everybody in Judah and Babylon except, of course, to the deluded mind of King Zedekiah who was being enticed by the Lord to go ahead and follow his own evil inclination. Ezekiel 17, 11-18 the word of Adonai came to me. Say to this rebellious house, Don't you know what these things mean? Tell them, here. The king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, took his king and princes and brought them to himself in Babel. Then he took a member of the royal family and made a covenant with him, putting him under oath. He removed all the powerful leaders of the land so that this kingdom of his would stay humble, not develop aspirations of its own. Rather, it would keep his covenant and live accordingly. But this man rebelled and he sent representatives to Egypt in order to obtain horses and a sizable army. Can he succeed? Can someone who does such things escape punishment? Can he break the covenant and still escape punishment? As I live, says Adonai Elohim, in the place where the king who gave him his throne lives, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, there with him in Babel, I swear he will die. Pharaoh, with his mighty army and numerous troops, he'll give him no help in the war. When they raise siege works and build fortified cities, uh, fortified towers to destroy so many people, because he despised the oath by breaking the covenant to which he had sworn allegiance. Having done all these things, he will not escape unpunished. So here we have it Zedekiah decided it would be a great idea to put his hope in an ancient adversary, Egypt. He tried to make an alliance with Egypt in anticipation that they would rescue him from Babylon. Oh man, how often believers will find ourselves in a bad way. And rather than petition God and wait upon Him in trust, we revert to the ways of the world, to the former ways that we had supposedly long ago left behind in order to try and deliver ourselves. In the Bible, Egypt has always represented a wicked and cruel taskmaster. Satan's kingdom, more or less. And yet, like heroin to a drug addict, it seduces even the one who seems on the road to rehabilitation right back to its degradation and destructive power. But God has another name for it when we choose the ways of the world over His ways. Rebellion.